You no. think, yeah, give me a drink. I'm looking like a man. I feel <laughs> like a man. <laughs> and in reality, well, yes, yes, you are. And it will work for a while, but then it will bite you in the bum. It mm. will bite you hard. And yeah. Awake Genge, this is Mental Meters, hosted by Asago Toto. <laughs> Stefan Neff, uh, he's a weird guy. Um, he's a man who is in his 50s and is living in New Zealand. And he is an anesthetist, so he is one of these doctors who is sending you off to sleep and is looking after you whilst you have got surgery, or who comes to the rescue when um, things don't turn out so well. Let it be in labor and you need pain relief or let it be in uh, in an emergency department because some trauma has happened. So I'm one of those guys. Um, I'm, I love my life. I love my job. I love everything about me today. But that is certainly not something that can be said even 10 years ago when I was a very different man. Yeah. I was an anesthetist, but... The only thing that I had learned was really to work, 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 work. So I was a workaholic. And guess what? At some stage, you need to switch off. And alcohol is a very good thing to do so. Um, at least I fought for a long time. So I actually used alcohol to switch off and have a nice relax, so to speak, Needless to say, um, there's more to this story, but that's me in a nutshell, uh, a man who worked in his life far too much and never learned the work-life balance and then paid the price for it. But it was it would be all nice if it comes like that on a platter. Um, <laughs> it never comes like that. It, the story starts with, you, with me being born in the 60s in Germany. Um, and when I was a teenager in the 80s, alcohol was everywhere. And we had a nice drinking culture. Um, so it was not not that I got immediately sort of hooked on it or, or dependent on it. No, it was just around. And so initially, as a young teenager, not much temptation. But then down the line, regrettably, I ended up uh, the recipient of gang violence. And I became a victim there. And that was, that was not pretty. Let's put it like that. I was uh, 13 and mm. a band basically beat, beat the shit out of me. And I, I was quite traumatized with that. It was completely unprovoked. I had no idea what was hitting me. And at one stage, I really thought, uh, that's me now done. And it, it left deep, deep, deep scars in my soul that never really healed. And at that time, no one was really talking about PTSD. No one was really talking about victim support. So before even the bruises had healed in my face, I was starting martial arts. I was starting to train every day very hard with our local law enforcement uh, agencies, with the police. And basically became a, a man who will no longer be caught out. 
needless to say, a daytime school, then four hours training. I was I was constantly hypervigilant. I was constantly on the go. I was constantly looking over my back. And nowadays I recognize that as, as PTSD. Then I didn't know about it. So the next five years were quite dark. And then, but then I went to university. And when I say it was quite dark before that, uh, I brought the gang leader into jail um, and he threatened me with death as soon as he gets out. So I had, I had a pretty good reason to train hard. And that's what I did because I thought, you know, in three years time or four years time, whenever it was, um, it's my turn again for a rematch. When I was 18, however, I was at university and I studied medicine. And very soon did I realize several things. A, this guy will never find me. B, there are girls. And C, there is alcohol. Because alcohol was helping me a lot to switch off that constant watching over my shoulder. It also made me far easier to talk with the girls. Because intrinsically, I was shy. Okay, um, I'm, it's weird. I, I was a quite a shy young man and insecure. And the moment you give me two drinks and give me a guitar in my hand, well, I can't play very well. I can't sing very well. But my God, um, I could be the soul of the party. So you know, alcohol had some quite some advantages for me. Um, but. I've never learned anything else at that stage, wow. how to look after myself. So therefore, whenever something went wrong, I used alcohol. Whenever yeah. went something right, well, I celebrated with alcohol. Yeah. When it was a, just a normal day, oh, well, let's relax with some alcohol. <laughs> so very soon, the alcohol was part and parcel of my life. And especially when then my life didn't end so well or it turned out with a lot of more trauma uh, from parents dying to money problems to emigration, selling houses, uh, selling your house, moving away, all those kind of things that put incredible stress in your life. Well, the only thing I could do was really work harder and drink harder. And, you know, you can only do that so long. So I was lucky. I was a very lucky man because I never ended up in trouble with the law. I never ended up in trouble um, severely with regards to my health. But it was clear that I, I was turning pretty much into a shell of a man, into a wreck, really, emotionally. I was what you call a high-functioning alcoholic. So I kept my job. I was working hard. I was workaholic just as much as an alcoholic. Um, but uh, needless to say, I was certainly not the best possible man that I could be. And luckily, luckily, my wife did not walk away from me. She has got her own problems. She has got her own trauma. Um, and somehow we stayed together through those tumultuous years. And one day after a particularly bad drinking night, she um, presented me the next day with the facts that uh, it was Wednesday morning. She said, look, I've booked you into a rehabilitation hospital. So you will on Friday, we all drive you to Auckland and you will be admitted and we will take it from there. Mm. 
And that was the moment that my life changed forever. Because up until then, I had come to the firm belief that I was worthless, that there was no hope for me, that there is no help for me, that I deserve it, that I'm a piece of shit, and that I'm a failure. Despite all of my achievements in my life, I never saw that. I considered myself a big failure for numerous reasons. And especially at four o'clock in the morning, I would wake up and my mind and my soul would play me the worst of Stefan over the last 30 years. And you will hear you will, every single thing that you ever did wrong. It's just coming there in fast forward. And it was brutal. And then guess what? Yeah. Guess what? I, I came to rehab and suddenly there were all these other people around me. And it turns out that I'm not alone. And it turns out that alcohol is a bastard of a disease. Oh, not a disease. It's a wrecking ball, sort of something that you take to a building to quickly crash it down. That's what alcohol does. Alcohol turned out to be the perfect solvent. Um, it dissolves uh, marriages, bank accounts, lives. That's what alcohol does. And of course, there is trauma in your life. I had the full house of depression, PTSD, anxiety, yet I never realized it, despite the fact that I'm a doctor. You know, it showed me that in another man, and I, I recognize it from a mile away. In myself, I didn't want to, to recognize that this is true. So I didn't recognize my, my own troubles, and I self-medicated with alcohol. And then suddenly I was in rehab hospital and I saw all these people around me, which were living normal lives. There were these counselors and the people who ran the whole show and nurses and a yoga teacher. And guess what? All of them have been alcoholics or druggies. They all have been where I was, you know, just a few years ago. And that blew me away. That really blew me away to see that people have been down and out and were able to get their life back together. That was the biggest, beautiful realization I could have ever had in my life. Wow. And it started from there. This was, this was so beautiful. One of the first Saturdays in the morning, there was nothing on as far as rehabilitation was concerned. And the boss of the rehab said, come on, Stefan, I'll take you out for a coffee which was really nice because the first two weeks in rehab, you're locked in. You're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to do anything. It's mm. voluntary, like going into jail for all, we, uh, for all, for all you know, know. And it was, it was a little bit like, well, we called ourselves inmates um, for, to joke <laughs> around with it. So, but he took me out for a coffee and he said, I want you to meet someone. And so we went, we drove somewhere in, in Auckland to this uh, cafe and, and there was a colleague of mine. I knew the dude. I had organized conferences myself, had invited that man to talk on a conference. And I thought, wow, he's got his shit together. Mm. And there he was. And he got introduced to me. And it's turned out that this particular man had trouble, uh, not so much with alcohol, but more with drugs, with, uh, with morphine-like drugs in the past. And he got his shit together. And that blew me away. 
it showed me that I'm not alone and that yeah. really addiction can get anyone. It can, it doesn't matter which color your skin, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, doesn't matter which religion you believe in. I have met alcoholics from every single walk of life. Now, some of us are a little bit more lucky. For example, if you're Jewish, 25% of the Jews, they can't really drink much alcohol because otherwise they feel sick as dogs, just the way that a certain enzyme in their liver works. So there are certain, certain traits that can protect you from alcohol. But on the flip side, there are about 50 genes that make you more likely to be an alcoholic or an addict, shall I say, uh, that you develop a chemical addiction. So, yeah, it, it blew me away that I was not alone. Because after all, if you think about it, Aseko, whenever you are an alcoholic, you're full of shame and guilt. Yes, so yes, yes. I was I was hiding, man. I was hiding in the morning that I was hungover. I was hiding that I was buying alcohol. I was hiding the alcohol. I was hiding drinking the alcohol. I was then hiding being drunk. And then I passed out. And then we repeated it the next day. So I was 80% of my day was hiding. Man, you're busy doing that. And you can't focus on actually living a life when yes. you are constantly hiding. So it's, it's, it's a brutal life, but it's, it's such a mean disease because it tells you lies. And the depression is the same thing. It tells you lies. It tells you you're worthless. It tells you there is no hope for you. It tells you it will never get better. These are all bloody lies. I can testify to that. And a, a huge amount of brothers and sisters out there who have gone through hell and back and have, have learned how to manage their addiction and no longer use or no longer behave in a certain way. For example, gambling, overeating, um, all those kind of other behaviors that have nothing to do with drugs or alcohol, but are essentially equally addictions. All those kind of things. Um, there are so many people out there and for, for all your listeners, as yeah. here in New Zealand, we, we say about one in three people are chemically addicted. So and that is alcohol, that is drugs, that is nicotine, those kind of things. Um, if you then add in uh, behaviors such as gambling and such as other things, uh, you get nearly half of the, uh, the population. So addiction is so normal out there certainly in, in the societies that I have lived in, let that be Germany, let it be United States, Australia, New Zealand, those kind of places that I visited or worked and lived in, um, it is normal. And South Africa will not be anywhere different. Okay? No. Yeah. yeah. More, so, sorry to, okay. to, to interrupt you. Most of them is the youth that is being is suffering from addiction of alcohol and drugs and I feel like when they are down in terms of depression, anxiety, they mm. use alcohol to, to, to cover that hole. And definitely mm. that hole will, not, will, will eventually open up more and more and more. And the suffering comes worse and worse and worse. Well, that's true. Because the anxiety is not going away. On yes. the contrary, the next day you have got still anxiety, but now you have got a hangover. 
in my book, My Steps to Sobriety, I, I discuss it and I, I say it is basically anxiety. Um, it's the hangover and anxiety together. And I haven't found a nice combination for that with depression because your de depression doesn't go away. On the contrary, you actually feel lousier because you've got more shame and more guilt um, that you are now drinking again. So no, it is, it is brutal. So alcohol is, is not a friend. Um, and, but we don't see it when we are young. Give you another example. Uh, I say, we're both a man. Um, yes. as, as a young man, uh, man, I was able to control my erection with alcohol. So mm. I, was, I was able to, when, I'm, when I was just right with the alcohol level, I could make love for hours, literally wow. for hours. Um, and it was just was something that, that my testosterone and my alcohol were just perfectly balanced. Wow. Guess what? That works not for long. <laughs> that works for a few years. And then guess mm. what happens? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Erectile dysfunction, because that's mm. the next thing that happens with, with alcohol. Basically, your whole male hormones go down the, the drain. Your testosterone levels fall. And uh, the young stud that you were once were, nah, that's a thing of the past. Thanks, alcohol. Um, instead, you grow <laughs> boobs because your liver doesn't work so well with mm. the uh, can't can't control the uh the balance of male and female hormones and it's all that kind of thing no one ever tells you that when you're young you no. think yeah give me a drink i'm looking like a man i feel <laughs> like a man <laughs> and in reality well yes yes you are and it will work for a while but then it will bite you in the bum it mm. will bite you hard and yeah some of us are lucky enough to then learn how to turn the corner. And this could be with Alcoholics Anonymous. It could be with your church. It could be with uh, people learning to meditate, with psychologists. There's a whole range of ways how you can get yourself better. Um, but I think if you find that you, you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, then maybe it's time to really go to someone. Yeah. And if you believe in the church, maybe go to your pastor because he or she will probably know what support services there are. Go to your family doctor, go to your GP or your, your local clinic because they will hopefully have some, um, some access to some outreach uh, clinics, etc. It is, there are actually, when you look around, there are so many resources there. If you look at Alcoholics Anonymous, um, in the past, you had to walk into a church somewhere or into a hall, meet those kind of people. If that is hard for you, nowadays you can do Zoom. And yes, Zoom meetings yes. with alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous are nonstop. Somewhere around the world right now is an AA meeting that you could join. It doesn't matter if it is in bloody England or in America, whatever the time, time differences allow you to, you can click into an AA meeting right now. Mm. I want to say something about those people who don't believe in God, like me, for example, I'm not really religious. So I mm. had quite a lot of problems with AA because there's, for example, this, this classic prayer that we always say, God, 
Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, there's one, well, there are two problems there. A, it's a prayer, which rubs mm. me up the wrong way. And B, God is involved, So, which, it's, which I don't believe in. So what mm. to do? What to do? The reality is, in rehab, you learn that God can be a group of orderly drunks or God can be a group of druggies. It is basically the power that is beyond us. The power of the, com the, power of the community, the yeah. power of people who have been there, have gone through the same shit that you are in now and who can tell you, hey, it gets better. Yeah, sure. And this is the way that I have done it. Do you want to come along? Mm. These are the steps that I have taken. And there are many steps that you can take. There are 12 steps in the AA program. And it's sort of a logical, stepwise way of first accepting that you're knee-deep in trouble and you can't do it alone. Yeah. Then the next few steps are that you actually start taking a quite a brutal inventory of what's going on. And that's probably one of the hardest things because you have been using the alcohol to escape your reality. You have been trying to escape the depression, the trauma, the childhood abuse, all those kind of things that actually let you down that dangerous path of alcoholism. But now suddenly you can no longer hide. You can no longer numb yourself. Now it's time to confront those demons. Now it's time to actually write down, why are you so pissed off? Why are you so angry? And you do these kind of long tables, these kind of long columns. And you write, for example, down, oh, Joe, I'm so angry and resentful about him because then and then he did that. And that's how it made me feel. Boom. So that's one line. And then Mary, she, oh, she did that. And that's how she made me feel. And so on. You write it all down. And then a few days later, actually, someone mean comes along and says, cool, let's actually get back to that list. Now let's do another column there and actually write, okay, Joe, he did that. That's how it made you feel. What was your contribution to that whole thing? What was your role in that? Why was Joe saying something? And did that have maybe got to do with you? And then you come to those kind of really strange questions that go that cut so deep. Um, the first question, have you ever tried to cut down or did you think you should cut down on your alcohol? Mm. Were you ever angry that other people said you were drinking too much? Mm. Did you ever feel guilty about drinking too much? And the last one, the E, is an eye-opener. Do you need eye-openers? Do you need alcohol in the morning to stop the jitters? These four questions are examples of the, the hard questions that we ask and put together, cut down, angry, guilty, eye-opener that gives you cage. That's called mm -hmm. a cage questionnaire. And if a good alcoholic will say, of course, to all of them. So bingo, bingo, you've got your diagnosis. If you say yes to three out of them, boy, we need to talk. Two out of them, okay, you're on the way to becoming an alcoholic, but you haven't yet matured. 
So these are the kind of things that that you can do. And in recovery, in in your early stages of sobriety, that's where a team will guide you through those hard questions and will explore what actually has led to you trying to escape your reality. Why do you want to run away? Why? What is going on? And some of the things you you it takes it takes one good discussion and suddenly it's so bloody clear to you. Mm. And for other things, you might need weeks, months, or sometimes years to heal. So trauma comes in layers, healing comes in layers. Mm. So only because mm. you've mm. just stopped drinking, well, <laughs> so far, <laughs> that's the easy part, the stopping drinking. Yeah, it's dealing with <laughs> it's dealing with the depression. It's dealing with your emotions. It's dealing, actually, recognizing your emotions. What are feelings? The only thing you know is this kind of wave coming over you and you see red and you want to beat the crap out of the other guy. Well, that is is rage. That is anger. Mm. So let's learn what this emotion is. And many, many young men are unable to do so. They, Mm. they, They just feel something and react rather than being able to actually talk about it, recognize it for what it is. Aha, this is terror. This is fear. This is sadness. This is lust. This is hunger. Well, the hunger and the first often enough. Okay, we, we get that sorted. But all the other emotions, else men are sometimes so bad in it. And that's what you need to learn. That's what where you need to grow up. So those people who just stop drinking for a day, a week, a month, but don't do any work behind it. Don't explore why they have been drinking. I can virtually guarantee you in three months, six months, 12 months time, they are back where they were or probably worse. The moment you start exploring the traumas in your life and seek help and learn how to 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 deal with your emotions then miracles happen and then you come to a point in your life when you suddenly realize actually i don't need to drink because i'm actually okay with what has happened in the past i don't need to drink because right now i'm doing something else that is fun or that interests me right now i'm maybe learning something maybe i'm learning a new skill Maybe I am giving service uh, in my church or in my community and help others. Maybe right now I do those things that I never did when I was drunk. And that's a beautiful thing. You suddenly realize how precious life is. And many, many, many alcoholics who get sober and then are in true recovery, in other words, they're working every day to make life better for them they then they start giving back just as much as i'm here talking to you now to to do a podcast for me it's beautiful because hopefully we can we can touch someone out there and tell them hey it's okay not to be okay it's okay to be down out and there is nothing that you possibly have done that's bad enough to prevent you seeking help 
It doesn't matter if you have prostituted yourself. It doesn't matter if you have stolen. If it doesn't matter really what you have done, nothing can be bad enough that uh, for people to turn you away. Okay, there is help out there. There are people who have been in your shoes. There are people mm. who have been vomiting over your shoes <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and a few years ago okay and they got their act together so uh, that's what i what i want to say we are, guys it is a beautiful journey please come along if you are down and out and i guess i guess that's the reason that you're listening to this podcast you're thinking bloody hell maybe 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 there is some problem with me and well trauma is normal depression and mood swings are normal that is what happens in life it's called life uh, it is it's not pretty soap opera no it's life where nasty things happen to you but it's our choice how we respond to it there are times when i still do a pity party there are times even nowadays when i say oh you all can just go and just go away and I roll up in a ball and I just watch mindless television and eat something that's not so healthy. Okay, that's cool. But I don't, I don't pitch my tent there. I don't stay there forever. I give myself maybe 24 hours, maybe 48 hours and say, okay, now fine. Okay, now, now get up, dust yourself off, learn from what has happened. Was there anything that you can learn from it? Was there anything that maybe given the same circumstances, would you do different? And sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there are just nasty people out there who are out there to get you. End of the story, there are bastards out there, and it's life. Again, maybe learn how to respond to a toxic relationship. Maybe learn more how to deal with the challenge of a, of a toxic co-worker, or mm. if worse, a toxic boss. Or a marriage that uh, was certainly not going right. So what do you do? And that's exactly why I wrote My Steps to Sobriety. Um, my book uh, is basically telling my story. It's telling the 12 steps, not in a religious way, but more in a, in a, in a sense of a failed business. Let's say you have got a restaurant and your friend has got a restaurant. Now, your restaurant is busy and it's great fun there, good food. And your, your friend, God, there's maybe one or two people sitting in there. And that's about it. So one day he comes to you and says, hey, look, would you mind? Would you mind coming across and, and helping me? I don't understand what's going on. Well, you come across. You probably sit down and order some things from the menu you look around is the staff friendly how does it look in there how does it smell in there what's the vibe and then once you have eaten you might go behind the scenes see what's the kitchen like see what's his procedures etc so you learn you do this inventory and and check it out and you look at the menu and there will be some things that no one ever buys well ditch them get rid of them and there will be some things that are really selling well. Cool. Let's focus on that. And then you've sort of sorted out things more. You create maybe better habits in the kitchen, maybe different habits in, the, in front of the house. Um, then very soon you feel, okay, things are picking up. You now do a quality assurance program. Make sure that things don't slip. 
And you know what? Down the line, three, six months down the line, um, things will have picked up. But they will have probably picked up because you made amends. So mm, your friend mm, might actually mm. send send an email out or, or text messages out to to his previous guests and said, look, guys, um, things didn't go so well for us recently, but now we've got a new vibe. We've got new food. And guys, come back. And as a, as a sign of apology, uh, we give you 30% off your next meal. So you're making amends. Um, and then you do a quality assurance. And sooner or later, maybe a year down the line, your friend will say, wow, this was such a beautiful journey. Guess what? I'm now making every fortnight, I'm opening my restaurant uh, in the afternoon for other people who own restaurants to come and talk and learn. So you're starting giving back. So from there is no help to no help going down to step 12, where you actually now provide the help to others. That's a 12-step program. That is what, what this is all about. And with a business, it makes sense to you. When it comes to your health, suddenly you say, oh, no, 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 I can't possibly do that. Bullshit. Yes, you can. <laughs> you, just, you just need to be honest. Hey? And that is, but you need someone to show you how to do it. And that is really, there's so many beautiful people out there. Guys, don't, don't think for a moment you're alone. And really, really trust me, there is help out there. No two ways around it. Uh, Stefan, um, we, uh, we have around four minutes left. So <laughs> the, the podcast, the episode is 40, minute, 40 minutes. Cool. Actually, it's five minutes. Five, I think oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so how, how can I help your, your audience in the best possible way? Yeah, that's it. Just a little advice out there to people who are suffering with addiction, any kind of addiction. Mm. And yeah. Mm. No, honestly, guys, there is help out there. And go to the, to the help that is pretty much there. If you're in the church, go to your pastor, um, go to your doctor, because they know, uh, they know how many people are in trouble and they have got support systems that they can help you with. So often enough, it doesn't cost money uh, and the support systems are there for you. So please take them. Uh, please accept that it is okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is always laughing. Not everyone is always cheerful. No, that's not normal. Mm -hmm. So if, when you see television and when you see the advertisements and when you see uh, celebrities, oh, please, that's all bogus. That's all false. Let's be quite clear about that. Life is not like that. And life, there will be beautiful moments and you can learn how to appreciate them and create more beautiful moments. But it all takes action. But the first action that you need to, to do is to look into the mirror and say, okay, enough is enough. Let's, let's ask for some help. And once you do that, doors start opening, doors that you didn't even know were there. You will start meeting people that you had no clue are there and they are probably a different bunch of people than maybe the guys that you are hanging out with at this moment. So your life will change forever. There's a beautiful saying, uh, the only thing in recovery that changes 
is everything. Mm -hmm. Your life will never be the same again. And so, yeah. The other thing to say is every day is a new battle. Every day, every minute, every hour, you either work on your recovery, you work on getting a better, becoming a better man, or you work on your relapse, you work on your depression. It's your choice. So I choose nowadays to make this life better and I love it. So come come along for a ride, guys. <laughs> now, if you want to, and if you want to know more about me, please go to mystepstosobriety.com or go to Amazon where you can get my book, My Steps to Sobriety. Check me out.